we need women talking about this. So I knew fame at CrossFitters, famous CrossFitters, but I was not a famous CrossFitter. And um, we need people that have more influence. I'm trying to have influence, but it's slow. <laughs> it is we slow, but you know. have uh, more influence really talking about this stuff, normalizing having um, struggles, normalizing the kind of help, the kind of care you can get, normalizing taking it easy for a time in your life. It is not a race to get back. Slow is fast, just like my shirt. It's on the back of my shirt right now. I just got my shirt. Slow is fast, okay? And like, it's that's been proven to me time and time again. The first time I didn't. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am your host, Jocelyn Conley pelvic floor physical therapist and today I have Lisa Ryan CrossFit level two coach and pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. We cover part two on her recovery with diastasis recti and diastasis recti repair. Last episode part one was about her journey after baby one, baby two, getting back into CrossFit and then finding a surgeon And now part two, we talk about her recovery process after having her surgery and then things that she would like to change about the messaging around diastasis recti. So if you haven't listened to part one, do that first because it might be a little confusing going into part two. If you want to follow Lisa, you can follow her on Instagram at lisa.marie.ryan. You can follow me at the dot vagina doc and then follow the podcast at pelvic docs podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please rate review and subscribe to the show. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, leave us a message for this episode and all future episodes. Remember our disclaimer, the information used in this podcast should not be used in substitute Uh, for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. So let's get on to today's show. Cannot settle. Um, To that point, what, so you finally let that, you decided on your surgeon. Yeah. And you you had the surgery. I had the surgery, although that was like, I decided on my surgeon and I think it was like seven months till surgery or something like that. So yeah, our interview was yeah. before you had your surgery. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So how was it? Yeah. Um, he, so, um, I mean, it was miserable. <laughs> I expected it. Um, it sucked. It was terrible. How painful. Um, but you know, it's so funny cause everyone has different experiences with that. It's so different. Yeah, pain is so um, subjective and the whole thing is... But it was is... so bad. Um, but, you know, I didn't throw up. The anesthesiologist was amazing. I, I felt like I was going to and I woke up. I mean, I woke up and I wanted... I felt like I was going to throw up and I was in so much pain. It was just like, oh God, it was just horrible. But when I woke up, I also learned I did not have an umbilical hernia, which saved me $4,000. Oh, so, that's huge. Yeah. Before we get too far into it, I just want to mention that Lisa had to get the surgery because her connective tissue and her, the linea alba was just 
way too separated and there wasn't enough tissue. Her tissue is what, what some providers will say. I hate to use this word, but crappy connective yeah, tissue. It right. wasn't really, it was see-through like in the surgery. So, and this is what got in my head working out because my hand would sink down into like my spot. I mean, I wouldn't let it do it, but like it would, there was no tension. Right. Yes. And then we thought we had, I had, because there was no, it was so thin. Everyone thought I had a little umbilical hernia that wasn't even there. The tissue was just so thin. Things were like coming out, but because there was no technical hole, I saved $4,500. That's huge because it's a really expensive procedure. It is, but that I did. I had it done at University of Michigan, so they have to bill out separately for that. If you see a private practice plastic surgeon that's also certified general surgery, that like one other guy was just going to rope it all in for the same price. Um, so you have to navigate that. Anyway. Um, well, anyways, the way I like to describe it to people that follow me, it's like walking on a suspension bridge you know how the suspension bridges they allow movement to just the way it's built yeah you're walking on a tight suspension bridge when there is when you can develop tension versus a really wobbly suspension bridge and when you're walking on a really really wobbly suspension bridge energy is lost so for human movement we need our forces that start from the ground or from one side of the body to be able to cross to the other side. But if the energy, if there's not good tension, the energy is lost. So it has to go somewhere. So it typically goes in your back or just the side abs and more things are stressed. And it's really hard to do basic things like vacuuming, cleaning, any single or any twisting movements or any single leg, single arm type things. So yeah. she needed that, but a lot of people don't need it. In fact, most people don't need sur surgery, right. but Lisa's was really, really substantial. Well, and what's so cool too, I'm so glad you brought all that stuff up, is that during that eight or nine months, I purposely was twisting with weight. I was doing all the things I wasn't supposed to do, right? Or I wasn't supposed to be able to do. Now, I do feel stronger now post-surgery, but like there's still, it's so interesting because I was able to get my rectus, could, I, I could bring my rectus into one finger, even though it was so de depth, but I could bring it in. Like I got so strong. Isn't huh. that crazy? So I was still depth. My tissue was still hit at rest. You know, I wanted to get the surgery, you know, obviously, but like, isn't that crazy? You know, I, do that? I believe that because, okay, another analogy I like to use because athlete, athletes can re resonate with this more sometimes is, okay, I tore my ACL and it's completely blown out. Okay. I would buckle and fall to the ground in within a week of the tear. I had two weeks for swelling to go down before my surgeon would, would operate. I was able to run before I had surgery. I mean, our body is incredibly, incredibly adaptable very mm -hmm. quickly. Yeah. That's so and, but at the end of the day, I still need it. If I wanted sure. to do certain things, I needed sure. surgery. Sure. So I, I mean, you, you were a regional level CrossFitter. You were a, going to figure it out. I mean, your right, right. language is movement. Right, so, right. That's really huge 
that you said that. I mean, but you still needed the surgery. Because sure. some people are like, oh, I don't want surgery, but some people yeah. need it, you know? Yeah, right. And if I didn't want it yet, I was fine. I was fine, you know? I, but I always say growing older with that thin of a tissue there makes me nervous. I don't like that. Kids kick my belly. They're kicking my organs. I don't like that, you know? And I obviously didn't want to look like that. I want to look good. You know, that's part sure. of it. You got to own that too. Sometimes I feel like people always make excuses because that's also part of it. It's like, it's okay to want to look different. Like it's okay. Right. But, um, but yeah, it's very interesting, but it's interesting because like sit-ups even I think feel about the same as they did before surgery, but things like front squats feel so much better. It's interesting to see. And it's still hard because it's like, I'm biased. Who really knows perceptions and mood? Like it's, it, it's not scientific, but I, but I can say it feels very confident that my front squats feel so much better than they did pre-surgery, which makes sense, right? Sure. Your abs are, in a sit-up, your, your, my rectus were coming in at least. And in a front squat, it's more of just stability there. And then with that fascia, you know, the, the weak fascia there, um, but it's interesting and I'm still trying to get a handle on like which core things feel the same and which feel better after surgery. It's very interesting. How, so now, now that we're getting into how you feel after surgery, what month are you now? And can you talk about your journey of yes. whether rehab journey back into the gym journey, how many weeks has it been since you started to feel like no pain or less pain? You yeah. had a surgery and just with surgery, you're different, right? Yeah. So it's okay to be different, but can you walk us through that? Yeah. I think a lot of women go into surgery. I think they get sold on it and they think they're going to be fine at six weeks. And I just think a lot of people, some people are, but a lot of people are not. It is a huge, I don't know how many times Dr. Sedaron said in my interview, and I was so glad he said that how this is, this is a huge deal. Yes. It's a huge deal. Huge. So, um, it was really hard for me. I didn't work out until seven and a half weeks. Um, and I got, went to see it, saw the doctor and then I saw Nancy the next day and we kind of, you know, made a plan and we did some body weight stuff. I had to reconnect. I was so disconnected. Like people think, oh, I'm going to get the surgery to reconnect to my core because it's so disconnected while they have diastasis. Um, you will feel more disconnected to your core than ever in your life after the surgery. So, um, but I did a lot of the same things I did when I first started working with her. And I, in the mentally challenging little type of rehabby things were easy because I'd done them before. I was like, this, thank God. Like, so I did that stuff. I, things went quickly. Um, I saw Nancy a lot. We progressed through. She was, I, I, I was just really nervous. She's just like, it feels fine. You know, I was just scared. I was going to damage the repair and the scars from hip to hip. So she would just work on the scar and I hated touching it. So someone else was doing it. Like part of this is, would I have been fine if no one ever touched my scar? Sure. But like, it's not just breaking up scar tissue or it's like being taken care of psychologically after a huge, like it is every turn I had, cause you have tons of nerve pain and swelling and things, everything. I'm like, Oh my God, I hurt myself. Oh my God, I hurt myself. Oh my God. I'm not okay. Oh my God. Like, and just Pete, you're fine. Like, I don't know what I would have done without it. So there's that part of it. Then there's the swelling. The swelling lasts a really long time. I I'm a year out now and I still swell sometimes. I would say I was still swelling after workouts consistently at 10 months. Wow. Well, that makes uh, sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah. But you I don't, mean, but if you didn't know that, that yep. would be scary. 
Yes. And I had planned for that. I had planned, I had planned for things to be even worse, honestly. Like I didn't think I would start CrossFit till six months out. And I went back to the gym. I went back to the gym at about three and a half months. I worked out at home, just body weight stuff for a little while. And then I did go to the gym and I, I wore heavy compression and I modified, but I was at the gym. I was doing CrossFit, just mm-hmm. modifying. And I felt better than I thought I would a lot sooner because I had worked it up. But um, I waited till about six months to really go all out to anything. I took it easy. I did progressions. I didn't hang from the bar. I didn't do a full push up. Like, could I have? Probably. I don't know. But like, I was like, nope, I'm going to, and it was like a progression. And it was also progression through the nerve pains because the nerve pains I knew were going to be there for a long time. And they still are sometimes, but it messes with your head because you're like, okay, well, what, what, you know? But I also found that as I would go back to something I hadn't done there, I get a lot of pain. I just go to that part and I stop. And then the next time I go a little bit further and the pain would go away a little bit. And then I kind of just keep doing that until the pain was gone. And then I would just do the new thing. So, you know, pain's a, I mean, that's a whole nother topic for another day. Right. But, um, it, I knew that it was okay that I had pain. So like I had that perspective where it was like, okay, but at the same time it was still concerning, but I could push through it appropriately. And I feel like that's how my whole rehab has been. Like, and then I saw Anthony when he came in for female athlete in October. And I knew once he got there, he'd kind of push me past my fears and it would be time six months post surgery. Like, and so he helped me rip off the bandaid and I did a pull up and I did a muscle up, he got me on the GHD. Like it was more than I thought was going to happen, but I was like, but it was fine. And I felt great. I didn't even have pain. Like, um, so, and that was my plan all along. I knew I'd see him then. Um, Nancy and I, like that was our whole plan the whole time. I was going to go slow till then. And she helped me do that. And it was great. Um, and then after six months, I started kind of just moving without thinking and, and not worrying about managing my pressure all the time and just kind of just getting back to being an athlete without overthinking. Um, and I would say by month eight, so after two months of that, maybe, maybe even after a month, I don't know. It went quickly. It went, it went pretty quickly. Um, but I still had a lot of pain, nerve pain, stabbing. I don't know. They say it's normal. I still get it sometimes. So having to work through that, but if I, but if, if I knew that if I didn't let myself feel that, then I would never progress. So it's a really tricky surgery in that yes. way. Yes. I think that kind of surgery is that C-section and you had both, mm-hmm. uh, abdominal hysterectomy. I think those are bigger than any peripheral surgeries like knee, ankle, because it's just, that's where your, your center is to, that affects everything. Yeah. That's why I told everyone like core is life. Like right it after is. surgery, I was like, I had no life. I couldn't, I was just in a chair. Like, <laughs> this is like, it's just like, oh my gosh. As much as I want you to tell me about your experiences with nerve pain and what you did for that and all of that, I think that there's so, there's so many other points that I want to ask you about. So yeah. if you're listening and you're curious about that, reach out to Lisa. Her information is going to be in the show notes. Um, She has so much valuable information, but recognize that everyone's pain experience is going to be different. Mm -hmm. So now looking, now you have, you have this insight, right? 
Um, what I would like you to talk about is basically what kind of thing, you, well, first you are a huge advocate in helping women navigate this process on a, as wherever they are in their journey. So can you talk about your, what you're doing for that and then how you would, what you would, now that you've been interviewing plastic surgeons, now you're past the surgery, how has that evolved? Like has your thoughts changed at all from where you and I were when we talked last time about a year ago? Yeah. Um, it is such a tricky thing. Cause like I work with so many pregnant postpartum athletes and it's very clear, like we need better resources. We need to support them mentally and physically, especially people wanting back to fitness. They're, they're not having the support, um, in all these ways, right? It's very clear what, what there needs to be. And it's something that is becoming more and more talked about and normalized. We still need to do a lot of work, but it's getting better. The tummy tuck world is a whole different thing because women are ashamed. They're not going to talk about that. They're going to get a tummy tuck. Some people, not all people, right? It's this hush hush thing. It's also can be kind of a sketchy surgery. There's a bajillion plastic surgeons. Um, how do you even pick one? there's different ways that it's done. There's also women that like, if you want to get this surgery because you want to look different, if you want to get any plastic surgery, you want to do different then you do you great, right? Do it. But there is a bad path going on where women are blaming diastasis on the fact that they're getting this surgery. Okay. So now, they have a lot of extra skin and they want that gone. That's pretty apparent. There's either saggy skin or there isn't, right? Diastasis is a spectrum. Like I had this extreme case, like you said, I had paper thin fascia. My stomach was severely protruding. It was clearly I had a very intense diastasis. There's all levels to this diastasis thing, right? And I want women to know that if they still want to look different, and they want to get the surgery, then that's great. Get it. But sometimes I feel like people think they have to get it because they have back pain, because they have some form of diastasis, because their, their rectus muscles are a little bit different than they were before kids. All of this stuff, and I feel like it is disempowering. What happens is these women feel like, oh my God, I need surgery. Oh my God, I'm in so much pain, because they're not getting help for the pain. Because I know if they had the right help, they could get rid of that back pain. I got rid of a lot of my back pain, look at my stomach, right? So um, they could get stronger in their abdominals if they were working with someone that could help them or progress them or like make them maybe less scared of the coning and load them more to appropriate manner, depending on the kind of coning, right? Now, some coning means you should stop and there's different, that's probably a different podcast, right? Technical stuff, but that's why you should hire someone, right? To help. Right. Right. So, um, and maybe they'd get stronger. Maybe they, they, maybe they would change their aesthetics a little bit and wouldn't want the surgery, or maybe they still would. But like they would go into the surgery from a place of empowerment of like, oh, well, I did all this stuff and now I don't want it. Or, oh, yeah, I still think I do. Fine. I don't care. But it is most women are going into those offices desperate, hating their bodies and not quite understanding exactly what's going on in their body or have had the right help to feel better before they get it. And I hate that because women are... They're, they're not in control. 
and I hate it. So that's why I want women to understand that more, more of the help before the surgery so they can really exhaust all their options. I rarely see women that I feel like have exhausted all of their options before getting the surgery. Now, not all women are fit like people that want to do CrossFit all the time and like, hey, they had a baby and they just want to get a surgery. You know what? Fine. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's fine as long as they're happy. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> because I just, I, I, I don't, um, I don't know. And I also find that a lot of times after surgeries, women don't understand how the surgery was done or they're having issues that were never explained to them, risks that maybe you said were explained to them, but they weren't really listening because it's such an emotional thing. I love that you said that. It's so true. Um, and I just want people to take this very seriously, like lots of questions, lots of consults. Don't just pick somebody. Wait until you have enough help that you can leave the house for two or three weeks so you can recover properly. Um, not scaring people, but also not blowing this off and moving that it's not that big of a deal. So recapping what you just said is that you want to empower women going through this process because it is a complicated process. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure that as they go into it, they have enough information to feel empowered that they're making the right decision. And it's not just a impromptu decision from, driven by fear or emotions. Mm -hmm. And then after that, so let's say they, they, they've decided that they know what they need to ask in order to select the right team members. And I say team members because it's not just a surgeon. Right. Um, it's going to be other people, but right. putting things in place after so that you can set yourself up for the best recovery possible. So yes. having help after. Women, moms, you are totally guilty of this. You yep. try to be super women. Yep. Because that's just what you do. Take yep. care of everything. Don't show weakness. Be strong. Right. right. But you're going to need a lot of help after that surgery. Yep. It's a massive surgery. Two, three weeks at least. I remember you had drains hanging from you. Oh, yeah. Well, two weeks I was with my parents. The third week I came back here, but I had a full-time nanny. I didn't pick up anything. I didn't. And even the three weeks after that, I never lifted the kid in the car. I, not, like, I, was, I was very very serious about this recovery. This is end game. This is end, end game. I'm done with kids. I'm done with the surgery. You know, God forbid, like anything else happens, but like, you know, I wanted the end game and I, women try to rush the recovery. I think a lot. Yeah. And they rush into the surgery out of a place that they, and you know, I don't want to minimize, I want to go back for one second. So I don't want to minimize people's pain because people can get angry and frustrated from that because pain is, their pain is real and they haven't probably had quality help. Um, and the problem is going into the surgery saying this surgery is going to fix my back pain because I have diastasis is a huge problem because do some people find relief from the surgery and their back pain? Sure. But also some people do not. And so it's a very, like you said, pain, it's a very tricky thing. 
And so you need the team to help you. And you need to know that the surgery is not an easy fix. Like it's not the easy fix that it's made out to be. Um, it's going to be just as much work learning a new body and coming out of that. And you're going to have pains and you're going to have all kinds of stuff again. So you, as long as people are aware of that, then I feel like they can do the next steps to figure out what they mm -hmm. want to do. It's almost like a new beginning after yeah. surgery. It's like, all right, now we start. Yeah. It's a new start. So yeah. just keep that in mind. Uh, and then be aware that tummy tucks, tummy tuck from office one might not be tummy tuck from, from office two. I really just don't like that name. I know. But they I all, know. I know. Speaking to a surgeon, the surgeon basically goes in there and do, does decides what needs to be done w once they're there. Yeah. It's not like that's they can. Why you got to trust them. Yeah, it's not like they know right away. So that's really important to know going into it. And a lot of them won't necessarily recommend rehab. They'll say, oh, lymphatic drainage will be, will be beneficial. But they don't understand that physical therapists, and that's our fault as a, as a profession, they don't understand that we're the movement experts and we're going to get you uh, – rehabs right. number one because it is right. a new injury and two we're going to teach you how to move in your new body because you do have a new body yep so just understand that piece because a lot will not recommend or they'll say I you don't need it every day i saw nancy i thought oh my god nancy what do people do without physical therapists after the surgery and i know a lot of stuff so take someone that doesn't know stuff who's not getting every day i thought my my anatomy was my anatomy was actually changed yeah. And they're well, just like, okay, just ease back into whatever you're doing before. And it's like, right? what? I'll tell you what they do. They just n live through life and ask, why? Well, I don't know why I'm still in pain. And then yeah. they start to develop pain everywhere because yes. it's, pain is an alarm system. Just like if your neighbors had an alarm, you'd get pissed. And then, so you'd be talking and then you would be making noise and the neighbor next door would be making noise. And so this, if I'm talking about the body, everything eventually starts to make noise and hurts. And then you come see me 20 years later. And I'm like, well, what kind of procedures did you do? And did you have rehab? And the answer is almost consistently no. Yeah. That's my rant. But yeah, you got to have rehab. And I say that after abdominal plasty, any abdominal surgery, laparoscopic surgery, C-section, hysterectomy. It's just, guys, it's huge. And yep. you don't have to go at it alone. And you guys, mo most of the people listening are not coaches and not as nearly as knowledgeable as you, Lisa. Yeah, nobody after these these abdominoplasties are good because they're. I mean, it's just it's like a it's like eight times the black hole that postpartum is. It's so bad, yeah. and women are suffering. They're having issues, or they're swollen at three months and they're confused. I'm like, did your doctor tell you I've been swollen for a year? Like, so they're either not, huge. they're either fine, but like surprised with how hard recovery is, which I have a huge problem with because I'm like, they, I'm just like, who who who's told these people before they got the surgery? It just makes me so mad. Or they really do have complications from surgery. And, um, you know, there sometimes women are scared to go back and ask questions or they don't want to offend the surgeon. I mean, I've heard all kinds of stuff and I'm like trying to pump people up. I'm like typing like a mad woman, you need to tell them, you know, like I just get like sweating because I'm like, oh my gosh, how did we get here? You know? Well, that's why your mission <sighs> is so important. 
So important. So if you go, if you're scared and you need, if you're listening and this is you, you need someone to talk to, reach out to one of us. Yeah. This is probably better. So, uh, because you, you, the person that loses in the end is you, it's not the surgeon. Yeah. And this doesn't just go away. I just want to mention that this is a really hard rehab, like from a therapist standpoint, because how I rehab would rehab you would be totally different than other people. Yes. So it's, it's hard on every party. And I think that's why, you know, surgeons don't recommend it because just like a hip fracture and that needs surgery trauma. And I would say, I hate to say this, but having a baby is a form of trauma. Everyone's going to have a little different experience. Sure. Rehab is different. There's no protocol. There's healing principles, but there is no protocol here. Right. The way that you're going to learn in your new body is going to be different than every other person. Right. Well, and I think that that's what distinguishes quality care from a coach like me, physical therapist like you, like you're able to look at the person and then critically think like, you're not just like the person that comes in that's rehabbing their knee is going to be the same as the next person, even if they had the same procedure done, you know? What sad um, Lisa is that exists and that's I know what, it does. what some people, they, that's why they don't go to therapy because like, Oh, I went and it didn't help. I know. I know. Which is so frustrating, but I know. Okay. Let's talk next about all of the messaging out there because the people with money and no offense to anyone here, but People like me don't have money to put out marketing messages like ads. So there's a lot of ads put placed out there by big marketing or people that have money and then, and it's really damaging language. And even therapists, our language can be damaging because we're trying to get our message out. Right. What advice can you give to both the people putting the messaging out and then also those that are receiving the messages. Let's start first with the receivers of the message. Yes. When they're reading things like mom poop, what, what is it? The pooch. Mom, the, yeah, the pooch. The pooch. Yeah, like lose a pooch, mom pooch. Um, Mommy yeah. tummy. Mommy tummy, all this stuff. Now, here's the, this is what I really, 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 really try to, to tell people is what are the red flags that you listen to that you see that makes you want to go the other way? If you hear someone talking about right and wrong stuff, about losing the pooch, if you hear someone that anybody that's leading from an aesthetic purpose, I say red flag, any, because listen, we cannot control aesthetics. We can control pain to an extent. I mean, not all pain, right? But I mean, pain um, and strength. We can't control function. My stomach looked a little bit different when, you know, those eight months um, at rest, there was a little bit of a change, but like overall it, there was not a big change. There's not a change aesthetically. I look the same, but I felt so much better. I was so much stronger and I could do more. We need to lead from function. The problem is that's not marketing and that's not sexy and that's not going to clickbait and all that kind of stuff. However, if people are going to choose to spend their money on a program or someone to help them, you want to avoid the red flags because what's going to happen is people spend their money on these programs and not everybody will benefit from that and they waste the money. Then they've wasted all of that mental energy. They feel like failures. They feel like something's wrong with them. It's their fault. I mean, it is just, it's like trickle down effect. 
So I always try to say red flags. If someone's bleeding from aesthetics, run the other way. If someone has a lot of right, wrong, safe and unsafe exercises, run the other way because it's more than that. Totally. Um, and oh, so because much. culturally, we're still going to get the messages. We're still going to feel bad about ourselves. We're still going to see things. We're still going to see lose the pooch. It's not going to go away, unfortunately. I wish it would. But um, so we have to shield ourselves as much as possible and, and follow the people and surround yourself with people that don't have that. And I have found, just like you're saying yourself, it's better to find the people online, maybe not the, the big popular people. Some of the popular people are great, but once you get in that circle, you kind of see, oh, these people are all here and these people are all here. <laughs> like, and you kind of get that, once you get that, you'll know it because you'll feel it. You'll feel good. You'll be like, oh my gosh, when you're reading stuff, you're reading stuff and you're not feeling good. Mm -mm. Don't follow, don't buy the program, go somewhere else because it should be different. So what you mean by this, Lisa, is that when you read, when the, when the person's reading the ad or the, the, whatever they're reading, yep. if the message says, buy this program, it'll flatten you. You'll get rid of your mom pooch versus, yep. Hey, this program is going to help you move better however yeah that is you feel like, better you'll feel, feel stronger without um, the aesthetic yes with the, uh, the the aesthetic hook but here's the trick you yourself as a person out in the marketed world you probably do want to lose your pooch yeah <laughs> right right so it gets really tricky but you just have to know if you really do want more quality help that you actually have to look for the other stuff I love the point that you put that you will feel crappy when you, when you're reading some of the messaging yeah. versus, I mean, with my messaging, I try, I'm sassy. Don't get right. me wrong. I'm sassy, right. but I try to, no matter, people can read my intent whenever right. I'm writing it. The people that should be following me, they're going to be like, right. oh, she comes from a good place. Yeah. She's really just calling me out on my shit and that's okay. Right. right. But I know what you mean. You feel right. so guilty or yeah. something when you read this, this messaging. So great point. Yeah. Thank you. How about now, I want your feedback as I put messaging out, or I would like you to say, you know, what, from how would you like healthcare? How can, as healthcare providers, let's say therapists, okay. change our messaging because we're fighting with all the other. It's really hard. The other players I in the know. game. Yeah. I hate really to call hard. it a game, but we're trying to sell what we provide or yeah. we're trying to get that out there. How, what sure. advice can you give up to us? Therapists? I think, I think that, um, once like, and I think this was the way when I started my coaching thing too. Cause like marketing for what I was doing, it was hard to get moms to commit. I was selling this what pregnancy postpartum fitness class that's weird oh I don't I, that can't be for me I'm not a crossfitter even though it wasn't a crossfit thing like it was really hard for me to get people at first which I know it was and now once you have people and you affect those people in such a positive way then they tell this person they tell that person and because they experience a quality of care they've never had so it's like I just think it takes it takes more time for the quality therapists to do it but then 
once it's just going to snowball faster and faster. You don't need to succumb to like losing your pooch marketing um, because so you're going to be important. providing the quality stuff, but it's hard to be patient when you're also trying to make money, you know? So, I mean, that's easier said than done. I get it. But um, I, yeah, I just think it's, I, I just think the, the quality of care and the integrity of care is, is so different than what people are getting in other ways that it, it will blow up. You made such a good point about it takes time. So I just recently experienced this in that, like I was new and I was, I know I'm going to put good stuff out there, but when you're, when your intent is to make a buck, even though I wanted to help people, but I also wanted to make money. You got to live your life. Yeah. It was, I saw that. And now I've been in the game longer and my goal is just to get people where they want to be whole right. different whole my right. messaging is different right. it's authentic it's yeah I don't even need to put I just I don't even I, I want to just help the one and continue to help the one and right. then it gets out there and it's more organic it takes time but it's a long game it's not the short game like the, the dirty short game how about now from right. the physicians and plastic surgeons messaging yeah, that I mean that's tricky because here's the thing, plastic surgeons, um, and that's what, you know I think that's so important for people to know before you go into a plastic surgeon office you have to have a good handle and you've had understand your body have your team hopefully seen a therapist and truly understand what's going on because you're gonna get a different message from them even the best plastic surgeon they're still gonna be they're all about plastic surgery so they're biased everybody's biased right maybe yeah. someone else is biased against you not getting the surgery like. You got like me, all, right? Like you got to put it all together. Like you have to put it all together. And, um, you know, plastic surgeons are advertising looking better, better after baby mommy makeovers, all this stuff. That's not going to change. That's what their marketing is. I don't expect them to change. I just want people to go into that from more of an empowered place and then choosing what they do from a, from a different angle. I don't really expect them to change. Um, I would just hope that people that go into surgeon offices, that they really feel like their tissue isn't that bad, they could tell them like, we could just do your skin. And just even be honest, like, yeah, your stomach might not be as flat with that, but you wouldn't have to go through the muscle repair and the surgery and go through all of that and give them that option. Maybe they still don't choose that. Maybe they still choose to get the muscle repair too. And they don't just get the skin tucked up if they have extra skin. But just for them to be really honest with their options, um, would be awesome. I feel like, I don't know, you know, they still want to sell their stuff. So that's their bias. I don't know. I think that's great advice. And your the work that you're doing to help women follow that is just absolutely incredible. Now, any insight that you have right now about this whole thing that you want to share just yeah i think um ideally we'd be in a place where the pt like you know my pt watched my surgery how cool is that but everyone in the or was so confused like who are you and what are you doing here <laughs> so, i'm like come on she's the one that's going to be helping me rehab she wants to see what's going on with my damn muscles you know it that's huge sense. yeah i would you know yeah that's, that's ideal so, yeah i know 
I was so nervous she wouldn't be able to get in there, but she worked for U of M still at the time. So she, you know, she had all of it. So it, you know, it worked out, but, um, ideally, you know, we've got the surgeon, the physical therapist, the doctor, I mean, all of these, like, it should be like this circle of medical providers that are all working together. And then the coach, like I, when I work with a person that also works with Nancy, or right now I'm working with a client that also works with Carrie Pagliano and we're sharing this client. It's so fun. Like magic happens. And I'm like, why is this like not always happening? So we need more coaches that do what I do that understand women's health and chronic pain and pregnancy and postpartum and like are just able to work with people like that. And then more providers that want to reach out to coaches and work together. Um, so that's my like hope. Right. Big hope, but I think we're moving there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, yeah. I think we are getting there slowly and it's because of people like you that are advocates. The consumers are other people that are listening to, to us and to other people that are messaging out there that they're seeking collaborative care which is you know all we have to hope for is one person at a time and then i'll just keep going and going yeah well lisa i've taken so much of your time and i am so grateful thank you again for coming on and yeah I, thank you i cannot wait to continue to see how much of an impact you have on women postpartum in CrossFit, because I'm just gonna put this out here and we will talk about it another time. A previous game, I, games top podium athlete did not, she did not, she came on the podcast, but wouldn't talk about pelvic floor, anything oh, pertaining to the pelvic yes. floor on the interview. Oh, she asked, man. Yeah. See, this is so. my other hope is I want, we need women talking about this. So I knew fame at CrossFitters, famous CrossFitters, but I was not a famous CrossFitter. And um, we need people that have more influence. I'm trying to have influence, but it's slow. <laughs> it is <laughs> slow, but you know. have uh, more influence really talking about this stuff, normalizing, having um, struggles, normalizing the kind of help, the kind of care you can get, normalizing, taking it easy for a time in your life. It is not a race to get back. Slow is fast. Just like my shirt. It's on the back of my shirt right now. I just got my shirt. Slow is fast. Okay. And like, it's, that's been proven to me time and time again. The first time I didn't really go, I went slow from what I knew, but not really slow. And then I had a bunch of setbacks. And the other two times it all happened faster than I thought because um, I did it with more intention and I shut up that athlete brain for a time. I can bring that athlete brain back and get competitive now here and there when it's appropriate. It's fun. Yeah. But there's a time you got to shut it off. If we compete every day, we're just going to burn out. Yeah. It's okay to compete a couple times a year. That's fine. Yep. But being intentional all those other times, you, it, that's going to lead to longevity. You're going to be able to do what you want to do for hopefully the rest of your life. Yeah. So Lisa, what is the best way our listeners can reach you or find yeah. you and follow you? So I'm on the Instagrams a lot. Um, Lisa.Marie.Ryan. 
And then um, my website, www.lisa-ryan.com has links to my other social media, Facebook. Um, I'm going to have my free download, surgery download up by next week. My website person's putting it up there. So you can go on there and download that. And then I also have a free download on there about how to find quality care during your pregnancy. And it's basically about how to find a pelvic floor PT, questions to ask, search engines, how do you know when you found quality care type of thing. Um, so that's all there. Well, you guys heard, so go follow her right now. And I already checked out her download. It is fantastic. So check that out. Even if, check out all her stuff, even if you don't think that you are a candidate for surgery. Um, and I, again, thank you so much. Lisa, did we get real? Yeah, I always get real. <laughs> all right, guys, until next time on Real Talk with the Public Docs, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next episode.